to be king still today. And how that is comforting news for some and it's threatening news for others. God, may we be in that group that that is good news for. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in hearts. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, the series that we're in is called Carols. We're looking at several Christmas carols. And this morning is the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Not a carol you're probably used to at Christmas or one that's maybe one of your favorites. And I want to ask that this morning. I want to kind of poll you all for what your favorite Christmas carols are. So you got that in mind, what your favorite one is? For how many of you is it Joy to the World, your favorite Christmas carol? We've got a few of you who are out there. How about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? We, We did that last week. There are a few. Okay. How about the first Noel? All right, we got them spread out. What about uh, Santa Claus is coming to town? Is it anybody? <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, we got a few of those. Now, now next week we're going to have a candlelight service, and my favorite is going to be uh, next week uh, in our evening service together. Anybody, Oh Holy Night, your favorite Christmas carol? I think that's one of the, the favorites when it comes down to it. Well, a lot of us love Christmas carols, but there are some who don't like Christmas carols at all, which brings me to the story of South Africa about a half century ago. Many of you know the story of apartheid in South Africa and how uh, during that time period, the leaders of South Africa, the Afrikaners who had come in, decided they were going to segregate and oppress a minority or actually the majority that was there before they ever entered. And in 1960, started a 20-year period where three and a half million non-white peoples were removed from their homes and moved into segregated neighborhoods. It's a scar on the history of South Africa that's also on the scars of other nations as well, some of our own history as well, uh, in separating people because of the color of our skin. You may know that history about South Africa, but you might not know Uh, something that I happened upon this week. I was reading uh, an article from the LA Times in 1985 talking about the Christmas season and Christmas songs. And I don't know if you know this, but in 1985, there were several cities in South Africa where the leaders of those cities decided that there would be no candlelight Christmas celebrations and there would be no Christmas songs sung. And why, you might ask? Well, we'll come back to that a little later in our service. When I was 13 years old, I uh, moved to Texas from California. And I, I went to Dallas Christian Middle School, Dallas Christian High School. It's where I met Holly. And in fact, we were in the same class when it came to science class that year. And I want to tell you a story about science class that year. Uh, many of you probably did this project when you were in school. It was a volcano project. Any of you remember this? You poured certain materials into a volcano that had been constructed and the lava would kind of flow out. And so we were uh, put to the task. We were supposed to get a group of four people together. And uh, some groups followed the plan of the materials they were to put in that volcano and ours didn't. Uh, don't get ahead of the story, by the way. So we had a, a, a group of overachievers. And actually, I was one of those that said, if someone else wants to do that project, that's great. I'll just sit back and let you do that. And one student was really excited. So we started researching online, you know, things that we could do to make this even better than the rest of the students. 
So the day came where we were putting our volcano together and, you know, you put a two-liter liter bottle together and kind of mold clay around it and it was looking really good and we were going to try it out uh, in, in one of my friend's houses in the kitchen and uh, the, the student who pulled together the materials, I'm not going to tell you what those materials are, uh, he said, you know, it's better not to try this out beforehand. Let's just wait till the day of. I promise this will work. So we come to the day of and it was great. We had these kindergartners that came to uh, learn about the volcanoes and see this happen. And so they were so excited. One of them was telling us more about volcanoes than we knew as eighth graders. Then we went outside and it was time to erupt these volcanoes. So all the groups went in order and we wanted to be last so that we could really show you know, what this was all about. Everyone did really well. Holly's group did a great job, but ours was going to be better, that's for sure. So it comes time for us to pour the elements in the, in the volcano and and, and so my friend who had researched this pours it all in, and we're standing in a circle around. The kindergartners are up front so they can get a closer look at it all. And uh, so he pours it in, and, and, and nothing happens. I mean, we're 20 seconds, and it's supposed to be something happening. Nothing's happening. We're like, you better get up there and make sure something happens, right? Because our grade depends on this. So he goes over the volcano, and his famous last words were, it's bubbling. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that volcano exploded. Not just lava up the top, I mean, just exploded. And there were some chemicals in there that burnt through people's clothes. This student who was, you know, the one that was helping our group, his eyes, I mean, he had to go to the hospital, actually, as a result of this. Later in the day, we were in Bible class, and we turned on the television in there, and there were helicopters circling our campus with the bottom line that said explosion at Dallas Christian Middle School. Now, everyone was all right after the, the things died down. I think Holly, you know, I don't know if you ever got money back for the clothes that we ruined that day, but I, I owe you still, I guess, probably, right? But it was just a disaster that day. And some of you have had experiences like this. And when I think back on that story, you know what I think about? I think about children that hold, are holding elements in their hands. It's like they're holding dynamite in their hands and they don't know what they're holding. Or, or maybe some of us, like eighth graders, not knowing the, the elements we're holding together. And when I think about this morning, some of us don't realize the songs that we're singing. Because this morning we've been singing about a king. We've been singing about the Lord of Lords who's over all. And yet when it comes down to this story, sometimes we think this is just about Christmas carols and just about sweet times with family. We forget what the first Christmas was actually like. So the carol I want to share with you this morning is the carol, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It was written by Charles Wesley. Some of you know that name. Many of our hymns were written by Charles Wesley. Charles' brother John was the leader of the Methodist Church, the Wesleyan movement. And so many of our churches, in fact, just down the road, a church is here because of John Wesley. And John and Charles traveled by ship from England over to the States with James Oglethorpe, who was coming to establish the last of the 13 colonies, Georgia. And they came over and, and, and they were, it was important, their religious faith and their religious heritage to what they were trying to establish in Georgia. Charles Wesley wrote, 7,000 hymns in his lifetime. Think about that for a moment. That's over, uh, 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 that's basically a hymn every other day for 50 years. That's how much of a prolific hymn writer Charles Wesley was. Hark, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, another Christmas carol that he wrote, and many other hymns as well. And let's look together at this hymn that we just sang earlier in our service. It says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength. Let's let's go on to the next slide there. 
Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation. Joy of every longing heart. All right, you hear some of the themes that we talked about last week in that, don't you? Themes about the longing for Jesus to come for Israel, that he was the hope of Israel coming into the world. Themes about uh, uh, a longing, about a freedom. This is about Israel and their hoping for something. But then verse 2 comes along. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Uh, By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. The themes are there of king, of kingdom, of a kingdom that would be brought to earth, of a king that would come and reign here among us. And there's a line I want to point us back to in that second verse. The line is this, born a child and yet a king. Now this is a, a, a startling juxtaposition of sorts, isn't it? We think of children and we think of kings, but we don't think of them in the same person. Children grow up to become kings one day, unless it's like the sword and the stone or something like that, right? But, But for most of our kings, they come later in life. But this baby, when he was born into the world, Jesus Christ, he was a king from the day he was born. And that, that, that news that the king was coming into the world, that was good news for many people in that time period. But it was not good news for others. And one of those guys was a guy named Herod. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 2. I'll begin reading there in just a little bit. But I want to give a little history on who King Herod was from sources of history that we hear about. This guy was a brutal dictator. Herod uh, was the second most wealthy person in the entire world at that time. Of course, Caesar, the emperor, was the wealthiest person. But, but Herod was soon after that. And he tried to build things that, that surpassed anything uh, Caesar ever thought of. He built this mountain called Herodium. This is from scratch. He built this mountain on his own. You could look from Jerusalem and look around. You could see Herodium. I remember going a few years ago to Israel and seeing this mountain. And it was like this mountaintop palace that he he would go and stay at. He built this mountain. And part of the reason he built this was so that one day when he died, uh, he would be buried in a place where his remains could still look over Jerusalem, uh, even in his death. Some scholars believe that Herod tried to rebuild the temple so that he could be remembered better than Solomon was even remembered, even as Scripture describes him. Uh, He also built a harbor called Caesarea, right? Creative name, just like Herodium Caesarea. It was a gift to Caesar of sorts, larger than uh, anything that Caesar had ever created. It was ten times larger than anything Caesar had built. 520 acres wide, basically, this harbor that was built uh, by Herod. Herod built stadiums that would rival any college football stadium today, any NASCAR facility, any any of these stadiums that we see today and go to. Herod was building that all the way back then. In fact, he built seven palaces that were larger than any of the palaces that Caesar built. So if you're thinking about a hotel name in Las Vegas, call it Herod's Palace, right? It can be bigger and better than Caesar's. And he did all this partly because he taxed the people so great. I mean, you, you think taxes are bad today. We heard the girl a few weeks ago talk about how bad that was, right? When Matt was preaching. Uh, Herod, some scholars will tell us he taxed the people up to 80 or 90 percent of their income to build all that he was building. I mean, this is a, this is a dictator, a tyrant, and as we read the story, we find out more about that. He was a violent man. He had 10 wives, and his favorite wife was one named Miriam. 
And Miriam was one where when he would go on a trip, he went to the Far East one time, and he told the rest of his men, hey, if I don't come back for some reason, what I want you to do is I want you to kill Miriam because he, he just could never get in his mind that Miriam would be married to another man. This is the kind of love he had for her, right? Uh, and, and it's reported when he came back that she seemed a little distant from him, which makes sense if you think about that story. He ended up killing Miriam. Killed three of his sons, one of them in his, uh, one of the favorite pools that they had growing up. I mean, this is a, a harsh ruler, a tyrant. Uh, he ordered also his people that when he was to die one day, that they were to round up all the people in Jericho, take them into the stadium, lock the doors, and make sure all of them were killed and slaughtered. The reason being, he wanted the day of his death to be the day that was mourned more than any other in Israel's past. This is the kind of leader that Herod is. And I think those are important details when we come to this story. Otherwise, Herod is just another name on the page. But this is the kind of person Herod was. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You can guess so, right? Because this is Herod's title. Herod was known as the King of the Jews, but what do we find here? Now uh, there is a new baby to be born who's apparently the king of the Jews. And that's going to cause trouble for this Herod who made sure that no one around him would be uh, any kind of threat to his throne. See, this Jesus was born with a death threat on his head from day one. Before he could walk, he had a price on his head. This is the kind of world he walks into. And sometimes the story of Christmas we forget in the midst of the holidays we celebrate. Let's keep reading in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly found out from them at the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him too. Instead of showing his anger and jealousy, Herod's able to at least contain himself long enough to say, Hey, I've got an idea. You know, Bring this Jesus to me so I can worship him. You want to do that? I want to do the very same thing. We're all about worshiping this Jesus, the King of the Jews. In case you were wondering about deceptive politicians, they've been around longer than just the United States of America, okay? Been around for a long time. And that's the kind of deceptive person that Herod was, was willing to do whatever it took in order to take out people so that he can continue to reign. But after the Magi worshipped Jesus, they were warned in a dream never to return to the country that, that, uh, the way uh, that, that Herod was. The angels had warned them of this. And this is what we read in verse 16 after Herod finds that out. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Does this story remind you of any other story in Scripture? It reminds me of the story of Exodus, doesn't it, you? Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is worried about all these these Israelites who are growing in number, and so he decides, we're going to kill all the baby boys. In fact, all the babies, I think it is, in it, thrown into the Nile. And the midwives wouldn't put up with the order of Pharaoh. But many are killed. And as we see the stories that goes along, isn't it interesting? Because the very child he tried to make sure was done away with, he ends up raising in his own palace the very one who would later lead the people out of bondage. I love that story. It's about a God who comes in and works, even using the king's resources to take out the king in the end who's living in all kinds of unjust ways. So here we come to the story of Herod, and it's a similar story, isn't it? 
Babies, uh, baby boys, two years old and, uh, and younger. And, and Jesus is whisked away uh, by night by his parents. He's safe in Egypt, of all places, to be saved there until a time when Herod is killed. But here's the question I have about Herod I've been thinking about this week. Was King Herod's decision to kill the baby boys a mistake or not? I mean, when you think about what he had at stake, that he was the king and he decides to have these babies killed. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, Jesus is the king, but did he re- was he really after the throne that Herod was sitting on? I, I, on, one, on one hand, I think, no, he wasn't a threat to King Herod. Herod didn't need to do this, and he would have maintained his kingdom, right? We know that Jesus wasn't after political power. That wasn't he, what he was after at the end. He was here uh, to be resurrected, to save us from our sins, and, and yes, to upend the world. And he preaches a kingdom, and we sometimes talk about this in very spiritual terms, don't we? This kingdom's not of this world, and, and so nothing really changes until he returns. That's how I've often heard the story told. But when you look again at the story, I guess I'd ask the question again, was Herod right in feeling this threat and doing what he did? Because on the other hand, isn't Jesus a threat to him as well? Maybe he doesn't want the throne, but he is trying to bring justice in the world. He is trying to make sure that the world is right in ways that Herod is not making it. So maybe there is a threat to his throne, nevertheless. So what do you think this morning? Do you think Herod had something to be afraid of or not? Well, when you look at the Christmas story and you look around at the empires in our world, the tyrants that have lived over the years, Christmas has always been a threat to some degree to those who are in charge, who rule by unjust means. And if you don't believe me, then listen to a song that Mary sings in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it was a song, a song that's in, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. Again, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. We think of her as this sweet teenage girl, you know, no, no harm to be done. She was just going to birth the child Jesus into the world. But look at the words she sings. Probably a lullaby that she didn't just sing as Jesus was in her belly, but also later on. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's not quite the nursery rhyme that we sing our kids, is it? But this is the song that was in Mary that she had to get out. Right as she's probably looking up to Herodium and all the palaces that Herod had built, she's foretelling a day when those palaces would be no more. When those who are proud, those who are greedy, those who sit on the throne will be brought low. And those who are the humble, those are the ones who will be exalted and raised up. This, these are words of treason in this time period. And so this young girl, Mary, is not just this girl who burst Jesus into the world. She is one with a fire in her belly. Not to mention the Messiah. Who's willing to challenge those in power to say, it will not always be this way because of the one who is being born into the world. And we think Christmas is about candy canes and reindeer and presents, but Mary thinks it's about something far different, something that's lost on us, but maybe it wasn't lost on Herod. But Herod doesn't kill baby Jesus. Jesus gets off, and eventually it comes back to haunt 
Herod. Not Herod Sr., but his son Herod, who is there after he dies in charge. In fact, turn over to Luke chapter 8. I want to read a few verses that I just think are they're incredible verses that we just bypass a lot of the time. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, if you're reading the story that probably Herod had heard as well, there was a time in, in Egypt with Pharaoh that tyrants should learn in the future not to do it as Pharaoh had done. Because as I said earlier, Moses grew up under Herod's palace and he grew up and, and, and he was called by God to go back to Egypt and free his people from bondage. Herod, uh, Pharaoh had made a mistake of not killing everyone he could have when he had the chance. And here is Herod trying to repeat the play from the playbook. And what happens here? Jesus grows up. He's not killed. And what do we read in Luke chapter 8? Did you read that detail about Joanna? I never noticed this before. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. In other words, Herod is financing the ministry of Jesus without even knowing it. This Joanna and other women, they're financing Jesus' ministry. And Herod is paying her as the, the, the manager of, of the household. And what is this money going toward? It's going toward the ministry of the one that his father had tried to put away and now is going to be the downfall of the empire later on, years to come. And I love how God does this. God, God works in, in the most surprising of ways that even under the nose of, of those in power, God is sometimes working in the midst of the injustice to raise up new leaders and to do things that others could never have conceived even using, and using, using the paycheck of the king himself. See, maybe this Christmas story isn't as safe as we always thought it was. You realize this morning what we've been singing about? What we've been singing about this morning would get us put in jail in many countries around the world. Proclaiming Jesus as king. Telling the Christmas story in times in the past, as I told in South Africa, where that was banned. Where a candlelight service that we'll celebrate uh, next week is something that couldn't have been done in the midst of, uh, of the apartheid that was going on in South Africa. Did you know that song we sang just before the sermon is called The Magnificat? Yeah, it's titled in your, in your program, but it actually, it comes from Luke chapter 1. Those very words we read from, from Mary, those are the words that are, are the words of that song, the Magnificat, that we sang this morning. And three separate times in history, tyrants have banned that song from being sung because they were afraid of the danger it would cause, of the revolution it might cause, if the words of Scripture might get out to those who were being oppressed in some way. In Argentina, in India, and in Guatemala. Three separate times we sang a song this morning that couldn't have been sung there. Because, is it because they don't understand the Christmas story of these tyrants? No. I'd suggest to you it's because they understand that story exactly. They understand that this story is a threat to those who rule in unjust ways because the God of our world isn't going to let that go on forever. Sometimes he's had to punish Israel because Israel didn't do it right. And sometimes he's had to go in and clear out other rulers because they've not done it right. But in the end, evil will be defeated. And tyrants don't get to continue to reign on the throne. 
See, Herod kills the baby boys not because he misunderstands Christmas, but because he understands it better than sometimes we understand Christmas. Sometimes I think we come into church and and we sing these songs and we go through our festive rituals and, and, and we don't realize we're like children holding dynamite in our hands without even knowing it. Or we're like eighth grade boys with a volcano project not having a clue what's about to happen. Sometimes we come in and we sing these songs and we forget that this was the kind of thing that started revolutions years ago. These are the songs that were banned and are still banned across the world today. And we come in and we sing those songs and we leave thinking that nothing changes in the world. But we serve a God who doesn't serve the status quo. We serve a God who who hears the cries of the humble and the oppressed and raises them up. We serve a God who doesn't just let those sit on thrones who rule unjustly, but changes all of that. And we serve a God who's promised that to happen. And I hope that's good news for us this morning. Because some of us look around and we're wondering, boy, things don't seem right in the world today, do they? And we wonder what God's going to do about it. And sometimes it takes more time than we wish it would take for him to change things. But we serve King Jesus. And it's his kingdom that's most important in our lives. He is king over all. And to me, that is good news this morning. It's good news to those who are humble that they'll be lifted up. But for those who are on thrones, for those who find greed in this season, well, Mary has another word for that. So may we, this morning, sit and may we adore and may we praise and may we honor and may we crown King Jesus. For he is still king. Amen. Let's pray together as we close our time. Father, I thank you for this story that doesn't let things just kind of continue the way they are. God, we live in a time where uh, it seems like the unjust get to rule. We live in a time where freedom is not happening in every place. We live in a time where the low are not always lifted up. And those on thrones continue to sit on thrones even though they rule unjustly. So this morning we pray that your kingdom would come. And your will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven. That's our prayer this morning. And we lift up King Jesus and look forward to celebrating him in the weeks to come. But God, remind us of what this message is, that it's like dynamite in the the hands of a child. It's like elements around a science fair project, God, that didn't turn out the way it should have. God, that you are still working your kingdom in our world, and we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll be standing now as we close our time together. May the words of, well, Mary's words, may they ring true in our lives. May we be counted among those who are humble that God gets to lift up and not those who are on the thrones that he wants to tear down. May we walk beside all who long for a way that's far different from the status quo. May his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we love God. May we love people. May we serve others. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.